everyone, in today's Locked On Canadians, we're going to talk about the Habs hiring Stefan Robida. Where on earth did they find him? He was exiled to Robida Island. And what this means for the Canadians' defense, what it means for the development of the team, what it means about the organization. All that's coming up, plus all of your mailbag questions, and that's on today's Locked On Canadians. For Locked On Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to episode 665 of your first listen of the day. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts as well as on YouTube. Very important programming note. As you know, we're in the off season. So we're three days a week normally, which means Monday, Wednesday, Friday, usually. However, exceptionally next week, we're dropping an episode on Tuesday and you really won't want to miss it. It is our episode 666. And we toyed with the idea of inviting Satan onto the show, but instead we decided to do the exact opposite of that. We're inviting an absolute delight onto our podcast. And this person, surprise guest, is an expert and on OHL prospects. So we invite you all to ask us questions about not just Owen Beck, who we'll spend a considerable amount of time talking about, but also any uh, OHL prospects that are in the HAB system that are about to graduate to the HABs, hint, hint, <laughs> um, uh, and any that you might have an eye on for next year's draft. All of that, you can send it to us on at lockedoncanadians at gmail.com. You can tweet us at LO underscore Canadians. You can also leave your questions in the YouTube. I'll pin a comment to this episode so that you can leave your questions there. In the meantime, who am I? I'm Laura Saba. I've been talking for almost two minutes without introducing your hosts. I am also known as the Active Stick, and I'm joined as always by Scott Matlove, Habs Eyes on the Prize. We're both extremely, extremely excited for the episode on Tuesday. However, first, we're going to talk about Stefan Robida and Scott. There's still big news, even though it's the offseason. Yeah, and the Habs are back to doing things at like 8.45 in the morning uh, <laughs> out of nowhere in that I saw Stefan Robida and I was like, ah, cool. They're doing like a retrospective because he's assistant coaching in the queue. He had taken a job with the Sherbrooke Phoenix, a team that he uh, co-owns along with Justin Tebow. Uh, if I am not mistaken. Was it Felix on Potvin or no? I do not know. I, I only saw the former Habs goalie name and then I blacked out from rage related to the Patrick <laughs> Watt trade. Um, and it's funny is that one of the first questions we got for the mailbag today was about this uh, from at JF underscore 718. What do we think is Roby Dot as an assistant coach? And honestly, I'm not against it. He worked in player development with the Leafs for, I believe, four years and then went to go sign on with the Q. He was coaching in one of the lower leagues. I think he was coaching a midget league. And some people have gone, there's not a whole lot of coaching experience on this coaching staff. But at the same time, every single person on this staff is someone who had to fight to make the NHL in one way or the other. Trevor Latowski, notwithstanding. Stefan Robida was a seventh round pick. Alex Burroughs was, I believe, undrafted and had to fight his way into the league. He was. And Martin St. Louis was famously undrafted as well. And I like it because there's a, a focus on player development, which I think is something that sorely, sorely lacked for most of the last decade is that there was no emphasis on that. It was sink or swim. And Roby obviously worked very much with the Leafs prospect in player development. Martin St. Louis worked wonders with the team last year. 
and Alex Burroughs was in Laval when they started their kind of ascension up the AHL ranks there before joining the NHL roster here. And I know some people are kind of going, weren't there better options? Luke Richardson had all this experience, this and that. It's a new era. And I don't think just because Robidaugh was a defensive defenseman, he wasn't a big dude. He wasn't a hulking dude in the mold of Mark Bergevin. He's a guy who had to use his smarts and positioning to win and play well. So I'm, I'm in favor of giving an opportunity to guys who may not have the coaching prowess, but have a background that should make them a very effective coach here. And we never really know until they take the ice. It, it can't be worse than last year, right? Like there can only be improvements. Exactly. I just double checked and Felix Putvain was the prior coach, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, not a co-owner. Uh, so you were right. I was wrong. Please. There's this person who like yells at us in the comments every time we get something wrong. Please don't yell at us. We are very, very tired, as you can see from the dark circles in our under our eyes. Um, I will just say one thing. Uh, the biggest concern people have been talking about is that nobody on this coaching staff has much experience. And I think that's fine, to be honest. And, you know, you're, we're talking about two undrafted guys who played uh, a significant number of games in the NHL. And then you're talking about two guys who were drafted in the seventh round who played, again, a significant number of games in the NHL. I remember coveting uh, Stefan Robida before he went to the Leafs and then was magically disappeared. Um, and, you know, I'm glad the Canadians have found him. I want to say it was Jared Book of Habs Eyes on the Prize made a great point was that, you know, the Habs approach seems to be we're starting everything from the ground up. So, you know, we're giving the coaches some time to learn and grow and make mistakes themselves. I do wish that they had somebody with a bit more experience behind that bench. I'm not going to lie to you. I do have hesitation. However, I don't think it's the end of the world. I, I personally feel that this is a fun, inspired hire. Um, if you're going to go with lack of experience, though, I do think that you want to be a little bit more diverse. Um, I understand that they're kind of keeping it within people that they know and they trust and whose coaching philosophies or whose hockey philosophies, not coaching again. Uh, it's not it's it hasn't been that long. Uh, who's who's. Um, you know, hockey philosophies that they kind of agree with and understand. And I do think that there's something to be said for fresh perspective. I think there's a lot to be said for players who know what it takes. I believe that they are kind of relying on the management to secure the talent and they're relying on the coaching staff to get the best out of the talent. And when they looked at, you know, what players really did the most to get to reach the pinnacles of their careers to the best of their ability. And obviously not everybody's a Hall of Famer, but you can't deny that Alex Burroughs did what he did to the best of his ability, right? So I think that they're looking at that kind of aspect of it and they're like, okay, we'll do the drafting, the trading, the signing, all of that. And the coaching staff is in charge of developing but also bringing the best out of everybody and i i like this hire i have a lot of hesitation about the hire i think it's going to be fun and i also think that it's going to be really fun to see them make mistakes this first year and see if they learn from it right like i know that the canadians aren't as bad as you know last place people keep saying like the canadians aren't going to be that bad they're not but they're not going to be great let's let's all like be realistic about it. They're not going to be that great. So this coaching staff is really, this is the year that they're going to have to like make up for their inexperience by making mistakes, learning, growing. So what I want to see is 
is the coaching staff at the beginning of the year and the coaching staff at the end of the year, do we see a trajectory? Do we see them improve on their ideas, on their structure, on whatever it is? Like that, that's what I'm going to be looking at. And to be honest, I, I personally, like, it's not that I'm not hopeful. It's that I know that there's going to be growing pains. And if you go into this, looking at it, like there's going to be growing pains in game one, if they don't have a sound defensive system, I'm not going to be too bummed. But in game 82, if they're still playing like last season, I'm not going to be happy. I, I want to actually throw something in on that because that's a good point is that last year was Martin St. Louis came in the halfway point of the season and it was try and, you know, stop the Titanic from splitting in half and at least, you know, m- kind of keep the bleeding to a minimum. Now he has an off season to work and implement and do all these other things. Is it going to be perfect? No, it's not going to be perfect. Martin St. Louis is not infallible except for his quads. Those are phenomenal. Those don't change a thing. Going into this season, like you said, can the coaching staff learn and adapt? And these are guys who had to learn and adapt as they played because they started before the 0405 lockout, many of them, and played through that into the new era of hockey and had to adapt their game and had to learn and I, I believe this was in the Hab subreddit as I was kind of reading through the comments. That's important. And like you said, I'm not going to judge them based on the first game. I'm not going to judge them based on the fifth game. It's a, We're going to kind of keep track of it as it goes. What's working? What got better? What were they doing when things were going well? What were they doing when things went in the toilet? And judge from there and start to draw conclusions. Now that we're actually going to have a coach and a system in place, not Marty, please, for the love of God, save the ship from sinking. And I think that's yeah, going to be a really interesting storyline to watch. They might not be good, but do we see the progress in coaching and everything going onwards? Absolutely agreed. And in our next segment, we're going to start going on with some more mailbag questions from all of you. And that's all coming up in just one moment. But first, I just got my sample of Built Bars with the chocolate chocolate chip cookie dough Built Puffs, as well as the S'mores Built Puffs. And I got to tell you, they are to die for. They're literally a treat. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, but I don't taste a protein bar. I'm tasting a candy bar. They're all high in protein. They are all delicious. And they are so, so, so like full of energy for you. And it's all low in sugar as well. It's made with real chocolate. It's got really high quality ingredients. And for me, a built bar is not just, you know, a protein bar is a treat, whether I need one at 3 p.m. before I crash, whether I need to take one on the go with me because I have a very busy life and sometimes I forget breakfast. You can also take it hiking. Honestly, put a built bar you know, in your pocket, in your bag, take it with you because they're so, so good. They've got 18 delicious regular flavors and they've got all these other fun, interesting, like all treat flavors. And you can go to built.com to try these low in sugar, high in protein bars. All you have to do is enter promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your order. That is LOCKED15 at built.com to get 15% off your order. All right, folks, I'm just going to remind you all once again that our episode for next week instead of Monday is going to be Tuesday. So our schedule is going to be Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday next week because we have a special guest and we're going to talk OHL prospects. So please look out for that and please send us your questions. In the meantime, Scott, I do believe the Twitter question that you had had a second component to it. Before uh, we yes. move on to our mailbag. Yes. Um, we do have two email questions that we will get to in a second. But the, uh, the second part of that first question is, not counting 2022 draftees, 
which prospects are you most excited to see at training camp? And I have an add on to that is that the Habs are coming to Buffalo for a rookie tournament. So I will, assuming everything goes to plan, be there for their games uh, against the Sabres, I believe the Leafs and the Senators prospects at Harbor Center. Um, I should be able to go and cover the games there. It'll be a good time. Uh, I'm excited to watch Owen. I Wait, he's a 2022 prospect. I'm very smart, by the way. I am. We're going to talk about Owen Beck all episode next week. Don't worry. Was, well, yeah. mostly we want, we want other OHL talk as well, but the hard part is there are some guys who are going to be in college that I won't say I won't get to see Sean Farrell or a Jaden Struble or a Jakob Dobish. Uh, but Will we get going, to see Caden Gooley is my question. I assuming he is there. Yes. I'm also excited to see Arbor Jack. just because I want to see if he's progressed from where he was in the last preseason where he got better game after game and eventually got an entry-level contract to where he's at now. Because one, it's a game against the Senators' prospects, which anyone who's followed me for AHL games know that games against Senators' prospects always result in violence. Arbor Jackeye thrives when things get violent, and I am very, very interested to see how he hopefully keeps his head there because he's such a physical specimen of a player I am very excited to see if he can kind of show why he was worth that contract there. He's someone I'm going to have my eye on. Plus, I assume we're going to get to see Matias Norlinder and some of the other young defensive prospects. We don't know what the roster is going to look like, but any NCAA prospect, just scratch them off the list. Europe might be hit or miss on some things, but I assume we're going to see Slavkovsky. I assume we're going to see Meshar. We're going to see Owen Beck. It's going to be a good time, and I am very, very excited. And I have just monopolized that entire question for myself. I am very sorry. <laughs> That's all good. I just said I wanted to see Caden Gooley. I'm very excited about Caden Gooley. So, uh, do you want to do your mailbag, the email question first? Or do you want me to do the shorter one first? Um, let's do the shorter one first and then we'll get into the longer one. We've decided to split duties this time because one of our one of our questions is quite long. Uh, this one comes from Axel. Uh, he sent it to our email account, so lockdowncanadians at gmail.com if you ever want to send us a longer question that won't fit in the 280 characters on Twitter. Uh, it says, hey, the Athletic released their list of the top 10 worst contracts headed into 2022. Yes, we know. Habs fans have been very angry about it, myself included. Uh, Suzuki being listed at number nine and Anderson and Savard being honorable mentions. I'm just interested in your thoughts. I personally think Suzuki will go into his contract. Also interesting that three of the 15 names listed are contracts signed. By Mark Bergevin. Thanks. All right. So I know people are really upset about this. And I have to say that a lot of it is dependent on length of time, right? Like there's, I, I like, I don't know how to explain it because I, I truly disagree that Nick Suzuki is one of the worst contracts in the NHL. A lot of people are like, you know, you're, what are you talking about? It hasn't even kicked in yet, but we're talking about, you know, the upcoming contract which um you know it's he's in his first year of it so i just i don't i don't get mad about that stuff like i i don't agree though i really don't i understand why habs fans are upset but i just i think it's gonna be fine he is gonna be quite old when it's when it's done right but i just i don't also, know I, I think he's good value my biggest thing on this is that the contract hasn't kicked in the habs were historically bad last year and Nick Suzuki still put up career numbers on a bad team with a rotating cast of line mates. You know, Caulfield was probably his most stable line mate, and that was only after St. Louis got here. He had Josh Anderson. He had Reb 
Pitlick. He had Mike Hoffman. He had Brent. He had every winger under the sun at one point or another. And it's like, what what else do you want him to do? Yeah, his defensive numbers suck because we know Mike Hoffman and Josh Anderson can't play defense. Caulfield isn't exactly an elite defensive winger, and he's not insulated by Philip Deneau. He was kind of left out on an island here, and yeah, it's going to look bad. And Dom, to his credit, I do not always agree with his model quite often, actually. But his reasoning in the actual article itself is that he says, I don't expect to see Suzuki anywhere near this list by the end of next season. And that he should grow into this in a big way. He's 22 years old. He's just starting this deal. And the Habs aren't going to be that bad forever. Savard and Anderson, okay, yeah, probably not great. But his reasoning and why in it's going off of what his model says. He can't disagree with his own model because then it all just kind of blows up in your face anyways. I get his reasoning behind it. It's not perfect and it, you don't have to like it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with not agreeing with it, but even Dom's kind of has looked at this and gone. I don't think this is going to be a thing next year. If he's anywhere near this list, he'd either have to be injured or take a major, major, major step back to still be on there. I'm not worried about it. I'm not going to stress about it. I said my piece on it. I don't agree with him being on the list because I think there are far more egregious contracts, but I'm not the one getting paid to write them. So I can yeah. have my own opinion. He can have his. Well, I mean, like there, there were so many models that predicted that Cole Caulfield would never even make the NHL, right? If you just take objective, um, like science, a lot of times, like it doesn't account for certain personality traits or luck or, you know, other types of growth. And some models just like they either devalue somebody's, you know, where they developed uh, or they devalue the league that they play in or they overvalue certain things. So, yes, there's a lot to be said for putting a series of, data into a, a predictor but at the end of the day all of the people who make the nhl in the world are outliers right like there's like a very limited number of people who play hockey and then succeed in the nhl they're in general just outliers in their lives so i'm not too too worried and again like i think dom, dom is an incredibly smart person and i thought it was really funny how upset people are because they didn't read the part where you know he said he fully expected this not to be the case and all of that i just i thought it was funny because i'm like you know like nick suzuki's going to see that and then he's just going to murder the leafs next year it's fine yeah uh you said we have one more in the email laura we do we have an email question from our good friend tiernan who has emailed us quite a bit um and the question is hi scott and laura what do you two think the plan is for the right side for the defense of a habs currently the list of signed a uh, right-handed d for the next season eligible to play in the nhl or ahl is david savard chris weidman justin Barron, madison bowie i get that some players can play their offside but i think that players are typically better at their natural side and prefer to play there too. Also, I wouldn't want to push young players to play their offside when they're just breaking into the NHL. That's a great point. Seeing how the season from hell demonstrated how injuries can impact a lineup, I feel uneasy with our current depth. If Savard and Weidman were injured at the same time, possibly along with a left-handed defenseman next year, our top four D pairings could possibly have Bowie and Barron in them. I worry about rushing Baron due to a lack of depth and injuries and his injuries and the uh, expectations upon him as our only signed right-handed defensive prospect emphasis on signed. What should the Habs do? Sign PK, bring back Brooke. Who's available that you'd be interested in signing cheap? 
I'd also like to see the Habs trade for a right-handed defensive prospect like they did with Barron at the deadline. The early report on the 2023 draft is extremely thin on defensive prospects. Uh, there are only two defensemen in Pronman's early ranking of top 25 players at 9th and 12th, and one is a right-handed defenseman. Need to shore up that depth and alleviate that pressure and focus on Barron. It's interesting that the right now in Pronman's ranking, they're at 9th and 12th, because I don't think it's out of the realm of the possibility of possibly that the Canadians pick at like six seven eight or nine right i don't yeah. think they're going to be bad enough to get bedard and a lot of people in our comments and on twitter are saying like that's a pipe dream i agree um i think it's quite interesting that it could be that the canadians are in a position where you know their like their pick is going to be a promising young defenseman i i do kind of look at it right now too and i go they do need help there um because i do not think madison bowie is actually going to be an nhl defenseman and i get that they want to have they might trust players on their offside. I I cannot shake that it's going to be PK. I can't shake the feeling. And it won't be expensive. He's not going to get that cap hit. I would be shocked if it comes in at more than $3 million. But I, I can't shake the feeling. Whether that's proper or not, it's like even if it's two years, that gives you a window there. Because I'm looking at other right-handed or right-shot D here, Anton Strahlman, Danny DeKaiser. John Kligberg wants $10 million. That's not going to happen. Uh, Chris Russell. Um, there's some restricted free agents. You have Noah Dobson. Uh, Eric Brandstrom is also an interesting one because apparently uh, DJ Smith doesn't like him. And, oh. I don't and I don't think he would be expensive. And But see, the, the Sens are doing smart things now. So what if they fire their fail coach? I don't think they will because they should have done that already if they wanted to, to be quite honest. Mm. So there's that options. I'm curious. I think they'll get creative. I don't think they're going in with Madison Bowie, Otto Leskinen, and Chris Weidman as like their, you know, other options on right D. That's just, it's a recipe for disaster, man. And nobody wants that. Also moving people to their wrong sides, because as we discussed with Mike Matheson, putting him on, on the correct side was what brought out the most in him. Uh, speaking of Chris Weidman, we've got a ton more mailbag questions coming up in one moment. All right, Scott. What do That's we have me. in our Twitter mailbag? Uh, from Rock Smasha, do you think the apparent leadership of Chris Weidman is a factor in why he wasn't dealt at the deadline and was then extended. He's a player who's grown on me throughout the season due to his quotes on mentoring Harris, helping and helping Slavkovsky feel welcome to the team. And if you had said Chris Weidman in leadership like four years ago during the Uber video incident, you would have been mocked off of hockey Twitter. And I am admittedly very surprised. And I think the part that was a turning point for a lot of Habs fans is Chris Weidman being the one to fight the coward Mark Shifley and no one else. I, I do think Weidman has actually grown a little bit as a person. Having a child helps with that too. And at a certain point in your life, you just kind of it clicks that you go, hey, I, I got to be better at this. And I do think that Martin St. Louis, Jeff Gordon and them, Chris Weidman knows he's not going to be a top pairing defenseman, but he's fine in his role. And I think he's a really good mentor for a lot of young guys because Weidman, similar to Robida and similar to Burroughs, wasn't a guarantee to make this. He's not a big guy. He's not an overpowering guy. He had to work and be good at what he's good at to make it. I, He's grown on both of us. Neither one of us really thought much of it when he signed. And now 
here we are and he's extended for another two seasons. And I will say that as well. I think Chris Weidman, when he came to Montreal, it may well have been that, you know, the Canadians needed to fill up depth and he needed to rehabilitate his career. So it was like, let's take a chance on this. And I think over time, I really think that the reason they re-sign him is simply that they like him. Because if you look at it, he is a depth player, right? He would have, he would fit on any team that's looking for a depth defenseman. Doesn't necessarily have to be the Canadians. And on the flip side, the Canadians don't necessarily need him. So I think that, you know, them signing him was literally a fact, like they saw something in him that they liked in the dressing room. He seems to be that kind of guy, you know, you could see all the young guys were constantly hanging out with him. He seemed to be a a pretty positive influence on them, which is really interesting given, you know, we just talked about the whole Ottawa incident. And I think, you know, what really, really brought it home for me was just the fact that like Cole Caulfield was like spending time with Chris Weidman's baby like that, you know, that I thought that was adorable. It just it seemed to me that, you know, this is a guy who's like determined to, to have a good head on his shoulders to kind of be be a good positive role, not just a role model, but a friend, a buddy, a big bro kind of kind of thing. And I think that, you know, you he offered up his number to to Slavkovsky to make him feel welcome on the team, especially since we knew that, you know, some of the fans weren't too happy with the pick. Um, and he's kind of trying to, trying to just, you know, make him feel a bit more welcome in Montreal. And, and I just, I really love that, that the story that the Canadians put on their website about that, um, I urge you to check it out because it really made me feel like they, they just kept this guy because they like him, right? Like it's it, like, he, they, that's, that's it. And, and I like him too now. Uh, from Jeff, the red, What's your favorite thing about the current Canadians management regime over the off season? That's a change from the previous one. That they're not old school, that they are willing to make out of the box hires. Although I, again, I would like to see a bit more diversity in that bench. Um, and that they, you know, they're building an analytics analytics department. They know what they don't know, but they're also bold, right? Like that Kirby doc trade was pretty bold. Uh, and the fact that people thought that they might've traded for Shane, right? That, that says a lot about the front office is that, you know, people think that they have the stones to do it. Uh, personally, uh, one of these groups hired Marie-Philippe Poulain. One of them did not. Yeah. I mean, like one of them hired one of the greatest hockey players, not female hockey players, hockey players of all time to help in player development at training camps and everything else. And I think that's important. Like you said, we would like to see, you know, some more diversity in the hires and everything, but they are clearly building a vision here. And I think there seems to be a plan. Whereas yeah, before and- it was just see to their pants, grip it and rip it and hope this works kind of thing. So uh, uh, we have one from at Habs laugh and it just says Lane Hudson question. The answer mark? is always yes. The answer is praise the Hudson always um, go listen to our episode with Paul Zook. Uh, if you want any more info on Lane Hudson, trust us. It's just the well, previous we're... episode. Go grab it. It, it is. Yes. Uh, from Andy at underscore rally cap. Who would you want to team up with in a Habs amazing race? And I assume he means a member of the Habs for the amazing race. Okay. You can go either. You can go like strong, gigantic. We'll do like the physical tasks or you want to go with smart um, and not annoying. I'm picking Nick Suzuki because he's not going to be annoying. I see. I thought that. And I have two other thoughts that I would think because they know how to travel. They know how to get around, and they have a good head on their shoulders. Carey Price or Joel Edmondson, both of whom Ooh. have been 
around long enough to know how to get places, how to get what they need in said places, and know how to get around very easily. Nick Suzuki was my third option in that because he's got it all going on up here. And he's going to be quiet. We actually talked to his mom, and his mom said that he would be quiet. (laughs) So (laughs) that's the big one for me. (laughs) But Joel Edmondson would have really good tunes and lots of jokes. Carey Price would probably be pretty quiet, too. Exactly. It's great. It's like, you don't want to talk? Cool. Carrie's just going to sit there and, you know. Stare. Stare. Probably. Or eat beef jerky. I assume Carrie Price is a big beef jerky guy. I don't know why. Just a feeling. Uh, Our last question uh, from Tristan. My question and a follow-up. What is the greatest pop song of all time? And then my follow-up. Why is it Run Away With Me by Carly Rae Jepsen? All right. So... I have to say Run Away With Me by Carly Rae Jepsen is a great pop song. Um, it, it, it reminds me of road trip songs and everybody starts singing along. But I've been trying to really capture what for me is the ultimate pop song. And I'm having a hard time kind of like I have recency bias about it. Um, but if you just think of the sheer influence, you got to go with one of two. Right? It either has to be Hit Me Baby One More Time or it has to be another song by Carly Rae Jepsen, which was obviously Call Me Maybe. Maybe. Because if if you just (laughs) think about how ubiquitous it was, how catchy it is, how it gets stuck in your head, and how very few people are actually annoyed by these two songs, because you'd think, especially with Call Me Maybe, you'd think it would be an annoying song, right? Like you'd think people would get really annoyed by it, but I know people who will literally like put one hour of Call Me Maybe on and go work out. I swear to you, it's true. So I think that that to me, is it like it, it, it gives me that feeling. And then, you know, you want to go back to the, like the Michael Jackson songs or whatever. I'm like showing my age now. I, I really think Hit Me Baby one more time for me is is like, or, or oh, Bye 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 by NSYNC for all the same reasons my thought was call me maybe was what came into my head too because i had just turned 21 at the time that that song really got popular so anytime we went to the bar call me maybe came on and it was the same time that there was the viral video of a college baseball team in a van doing a hand dance with that that everyone at the bar would then be doing that and if not that my other thought was it's i want it that way by the backstreet boys because you can put that song on and I have witnessed an entire bar full of drunk college students in full Halloween costumes stop to sing it as a group in a giant circle. It brings the people together. It gets people going. And everyone knows the words. Even if it's just the chorus, everyone knows the words to I Want It That Way. Whether they want to or not, it is embedded somewhere deep in your head like a Soviet sleeper program that when it comes on, you know the words whether you want to or not. And I think that that might be it. In that um, I can, it it's, it's always a good hit. The cold open from Brooklyn Nine-Nine is what... I was, that was yeah. Violet Artist. A lot of people picked back up on it because of that, including Brendan Gallagher during the pandemic who became a semi-famous TikTok star, which... Why didn't he keep doing that? He was good. Anyways, that's... <laughs> That is that is my answer for that one, and that is it's actually, because he's being paid six plus million dollars to do something else. <laughs> it's, is is why <laughs> to have his hip exploded against the boards. Um, mm-hmm. That was mean. I, I love Brendan Gallagher, but that is the end of our mailbag questions. However, 
So if you want to send us mailbag questions or questions about the OHL prospects, we're going to be recording on Monday night. Um, you can do that at LO underscore Canadians. You can also leave them in the YouTube comments. But if you're a jerk to us or anybody else in the YouTube comments, even if you disagree with them, we will delete your comment and forget you exist. Um, or you can uh, tweet them at LO underscore Canadians. You can follow us on Twitter. Scott is at Scott Matla. I am at The Active Stick. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, next week it's Tuesday instead of Monday with a very special OHL prospect expert guest. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you next week.